Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. As always, thank you so much for tuning in to what we're calling Halloween, uh, because we will just not let a joke die. <laughs> yeah, even an accidental joke that stems from just like a momentary mispronunciation of a very common word. Well, it's, it's probably my Appalachian roots uh, linguistically popping out my accent. But uh, I, I am thrilled to be joined with you guys again. Noel Niarlothotep Brown and Casey Ca super producer Casey Cthulhu Pegram. Oh, hell yes. <laughs> uh, guys, I went, uh, we, we usually try to take a little, uh, a quick break uh, between episodes of recording something straight through. And I literally ran away and like picked up one of my HP Lovecraft books. And I was like, I know there's something here. So I apologize for being late. I tried to, Noel, I really wanted to nail that pronunciation for you. Uh, Niarlathotep. Yeah. Uh, how about I got one for you? How about this? Ben, the void stares back, Bolin. Ooh, thank you. I love it, and I agree. <laughs> and, and so uh, we're we're in merry spirits as we explore uh, some not so merry spirits. Some not yes, exactly. Some not so merry spirits. As we teased in part one, uh, this is the second half of the Greenbrier Ghost, in which we encounter some stunning revelations, some scandalous plot twists. I don't know. What do you think, man? Would it be good for us to give like just a brief summary of episode one? Oh, I think that's always helpful, Ben. Um, so we've got uh, an unexplained death or, or a poorly explained death. Mm -hmm. Let's say the local physician, uh, Dr. Knapp, 
sounds like a made up character. Um, blamed it on uh, the everlasting faint, uh, AKA a heart attack. But this the woman in question who passed away. One Elva Zona shoe maiden name. Heaster was discovered in a, a ramshackle pile uh, at the bottom of the stairs in the home where she was living with her ne'er-do-well husband, Erasmus, if we were going to give him a nickname, the Erasable Shoe, a.k.a. Trout, which is mainly what we've been referring to him as, although we really like the name Erasmus. Um, He very suspiciously had left the house, gone to visit uh, a neighborhood um, Auntie Martha, I believe, mm-hmm. um, and then had her young son go and uh, fetch some eggs from from his wife, um, only to discover her uh, decrepit body um, dead, her, her, her corpse at the bottom of the stairs. Um, there was an autopsy performed quite uh, haphazardly, if I do say so myself, uh, by said uh, local physician uh, and coroner, Dr. Knapp. Um, and uh, Trout very conspicuously was a, a not cool with him examining the neck parts. Flash forward to the funeral back in Zona's hometown on the other side of Greenbrier County, where Trout uh, even more conspicuously and awkwardly sticks close to the casket and, and makes sure that her neck parts are covered up by going as far as propping her head head up, I believe we referred to it as death becomes her style uh, in the casket and made sure no one got a good look at her neck. Um, what happens next, Ben? Well, then everybody is uh, being pathologically polite, as we said, and letting this guy do his weird neck stuff to the his wife's corpse, and no one's raising a stink about it except for Zona's mother, Mary Jane Heaster. Uh, she never liked Erasmus. She also found him uh, sketchy. He's what I would call a sketch artist Mm -hmm. uh, because I'm a fan of terrible uh, euphemisms. And she then experienced a series of visions. For four nights, she was visited by what she believed to be the ghost of her daughter after extensive praying. And her daughter not only said that she did not die of a heart attack, she said that her husband had murdered her, murder most foul. And she specifically said, uh, this is where it happened. This is how he broke my neck. This is where he broke my neck. This is what the view looked like out of our house. And Mary Jane had all these details, she brought them to the town prosecutor, one Mr. Preston. Uh, Mr. Preston, we don't know whether he believed in ghosts, but through sheer tenacity, uh, Mary Jane was able to persuade him to start asking questions. He finds out about this weird neck stuff. He gets uh, the doctor in a very like lovable, kind of absent-minded professor way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, shucks, you know? It was a little odd that mm-hmm. that, that, that that this guy named Trout uh, was uh, was against me examining the the neck area of his dead wife. But I just I just chalked it up to grief, and I just figured I didn't want to ask too many questions. I mean, the man's grieving. He's 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 shedding tears. He's a grown man. I don't want I don't want to push him over the edge, you know. I mean, have have a little compassion, why don't you? Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, he goes back to say, okay, well, now that you mentioned it, that was a little odd. So they exhume the body for a second autopsy, at which point they find uh, some pretty conspicuous markings around the neck, uh, a crushed windpipe, finger uh, bruises around the neck, all things that point to. Trout as perhaps being the perpetrator of what is now looked at not as a case of 
the horribles or what do they call it? The, the everlasting faint, the everlasting faint, uh, but rather a murder. And the plot continues to thicken just like, uh, just like cornstarch, I guess. I'm not a cornstarch doctor or whatever, but uh, yeah, they, it looks like murder rather than an unfortunate heart attack. And what's more, the uh, markings on the body correlate almost precisely, according to the papers of the time, with the information that Mary Jane claims to have received from her daughter's ghost. However, there is, and, and then Trout says some ridiculously sketchy stuff about this, kind of like uh, when O.J. Simpson published a book called If I Had Done It, uh, and this uh, this gives Preston, the prosecutor, even more of a an off feeling, but at this point, People in town are saying, well, it could have been Shu, but how did Mary Jane have all this information? What if she is not only making up this ghost story, but what if she is the murderer and framing her son-in-law? That's where our stage is set. Back to our intrepid prosecutor. He's doing some detective work. He's got a Sherlock Holmes hat on. Whatever. What's the, do we know the specific name for that kind of hat? Yeah, it's called a deerstalker. Not sure nice. why I know that, but but for some reason I do. And yeah, it's true. He keeps digging. He keeps digging and looking into Shoe's past because this guy is now really looking good as uh, as suspect number one. And he finds out that Shoe's been married twice before. Scandal. Uh, before. Yeah, scandal indeed. Um, and according to the record, the first marriage ended in a divorce when Shoe was sent to prison for stealing a horse. It's what they call a horse divorce. It's, it's, it's what happens. You steal a horse, automatic divorce. I thought it was a de-horse. Maybe that's what they just call it in Tennessee. Yeah, might be right. It's, you know, there's different colloquialisms all over this grand country of ours. Language is a living thing, as you say. Um, but, but that wife later told the cops that Shu was, in fact, an awful awful, violent, aggressive, angry man who beat her quite frequently when they were married. Uh, the second marriage that he entered into ended after only eight months with, oh my gosh, surprise, surprise, the mysterious death of that wife. Yeah, Lucy Ann Tritt Shue had lived with her husband for a little less than eight months and she died under suspicious circumstances. Check this out. The first wife was supposed to have passed away from a broken neck when she fell from a haystack. The second wife apparently died while helping Trout repair a chimney. He was on top of the chimney. His wife was putting rocks in a basket with a rope attached so they could, you know, yeah, like a counterweight or something. Yeah, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. do a pulley thing up to the top. And as the basket was drawn up, it turned over and dropped the rock on the head of his wife. That's the explanation for the second wife, but those are still mysterious circumstances because you see, gentlemen, some people said that this second wife, Lucy, was pregnant at the time of her death and was still to this day, you'll hear people say she fell through ice. Others say the rocks hit her on the head and some say it was poison. Oh my gosh. And and let's just really quickly, you know, the 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 initial digging revealed only that the first wife, the first marriage ended in divorce, but there are these uh 
differing stories of these other potential um, deaths and these potential uh, super sketchy deaths. And, you know, I mean, it is circumstantial, but it is a smoke fire type situation. And it certainly, at the very least, points to Shu uh, Trout being a pretty awful guy. Um, So he's got this information now. And we also have an account that while he was in prison, um, between those marriages for the horse theft, that he bragged about this idea that he was going to marry seven women in his lifetime. Weird flex, weird goal uh, to each their own, I guess. But there's a there's definitely that that's the kind of statement that definitely leaves some questions, right? Because uh, the U.S. at this time has laws against what's known as bigamy. Bigamy is the practice of going to marry someone when you are, in fact, still married to someone else. So he would have been a, a what, a sextuple bigamist, I guess? It would seem so. And that paired with his previous statement when presented with the uh, the plans to uh, exhume his uh, his third dead wife's body, uh, the the uh, the apparition in question today. By the way, my daughter, the other day, uh, was she likes this anime, and it's about ghosts. And she was like, Dad, do you know what an operation is? And I go, well, you mean like a ghost? <laughs> she goes, yeah, an operation. I'm like, I think you mean apparition. She goes, nope, nope, it's definitely an operation. I read it on the subtitles right there on the screen. And I had to, like, break it to her, like, nope, you, 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 you got that one wrong. And she hasn't spoken to me since. But, yeah. Today's apparition in question. Um, so between all of those details, even though they're circumstantial, um, and uh, Shu's statement uh, of if I, uh, you know, O.J. Simpson-like statement of, well, you're going to arrest me, but you're not going to be able to prove that I did it. It was enough for for this um, prosecutor to bring him to trial. And there was a grand jury assembled, and the trial began in June. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts about spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right, Noel. It's, it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. 
the big screen. I want to be remembered for just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Lewisburg, West Virginia, June 30th, 1897. Trout hires uh, two defense lawyers, William Reekler and James Gardner, to be his representatives in a court of law. James Gardner, by the way, is the very first black lawyer to practice in a circuit court in the state of West Virginia. At the trial, here's the tricky thing. There's not a ton of hard evidence available. Yes, Elva Zona's neck is broken, and there are hand marks, for sure. But as we pointed out, uh, forensic science then is not what it is today. And yes, Trout did brag, they will not be able to prove I did it, which is a quote. But that's not, that doesn't get you beyond reasonable doubt in a murder case. You know what I mean? So the defense calls Mary Jane to the stand, and the defense attorney asks her to describe her visits from this operation, this ghost. And she does. This was the defense, most likely this was the defense's attempt to uh, attack her credibility, right? To make her seem like a crazy, grieving parent. Uh, But... She stuck to her guns, and later a full transcript of this conversation was published by a newspaper called the Monroe Watchman. Uh, we teased, we teased this a little bit. We're not going to give you the whole transcript, but we think it might be suitable for a bit of a what do you think, Noel? A dramatic reenactment? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And listen, any, any Southern drawl accents we do, we come, we come honestly by. We're from the South, Ben. You're from Tennessee. You know, we're not making fun of anybody. They're just fun to do. Can we all agree on that? That we're not uh, trying to make fun of anybody's culture or background here? You want to rock, paper, scissors for uh, the attorney? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, it's one, two, three, shoot, right? One, two, three, shoot. Let's eyes closed so there's no lag. Because there's a lag on the video. Yeah. Okay, Casey, you're our impartial witness. And uh, it's, it's death match. So the winner is the attorney. Ready? Okay, okay. great. All right. One, two, three, shoot. Eyes open. Both were below the camera line. I think I see paper and scissors. All right. Okay, so you're the attorney, I'm a scissor. Okay, I'm I trust that you didn't cheat. I never, (laughs) never. That's a quizster kind of move. All right. I would never, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't stoop to that level. Here we go, Casey. Hit the music. Mrs. Heaster, are you positively sure that these visits are not for dreams? Why, yes, sir. It was not a dream. I don't dream when I am wide awake, to be sure, and I know I saw her right there with me. Are you or are you not considerably superstitious? Well, no, sir, I am not. I was never that way before, and I am not now. Ah, ah, but but do you believe in the scriptures? Well, yes, sir. I have no reason not to believe it. And... Do you believe the scriptures contain the word of God and his son? Uh, yes, sir, I do. Don't you believe it? Now, I would like it, if I could, to get you to say that these were four dreams and not four visions or appearances of your daughter in flesh and blood. I am not going to say that, for I am not going to lie. And scene. And scene. All right. <laughs> uh, Casey, could you 
just out of pity, throw us an applause cue because I know our fellow ridiculous historians are going to do it. That is no pity applause. Those accents were, were something else. Oh, thanks. Brian. Oh, wow. So, okay. All right. I'll take that backhanded compliment all day long. <laughs> You're on thin ice, my friend. I can't believe I gave you Cthulhu. Hush. Bless your hearts. Oh, oh, okay. No, no. All right, you know, moving on. We're working live. <laughs> Here's the deal. Many of the people in town, maybe not all 12 jury members, but many people in the town believed Easter's story. She seemed sincere. She did not seem as though she had some sort of ulterior motive to murder her own daughter. Uh, she certainly wasn't getting any money out of this. And uh, to be honest, Erasmus didn't really do himself any favors when he took the stand. He was just kind of like rambling like a crazy guy who accidentally walked onto the TED Talk stage. He was saying stuff to the jury, like, like interrupting the lawyers and saying like, look into my face and then you tell me if I'm guilty. Which is the worst thing to say. <laughs> yeah, especially for like a super guilty looking dude. Like, I'd be like, look away from my face, but pay me no mind, you know? Yeah. Um, it's 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 very interesting scene. And not to mention, this didn't really come up, but this is just my two cents. Uh, you know, this was an elderly lady, and these were the types of injuries that were clearly inflicted by hand, by very strong hands, like animalistically strong hands, perhaps the hands of a trout. I know Trout don't have hands, but a guy with a nickname Trout does. Yep. And because the jury had no hard evidence to consider, just circumstantial stuff, and then, of course, what appears to be the testimony of a woman who received information from a ghost, they're left with kind of feeling out the vibe. You know what I mean? Going with their guts. And this guy makes a terrible first impression on them. Uh, the, so the judge said, you know, there's no middle ground for the jury to take. The verdict inevitably and logically must be for murder in the first degree or for an acquittal. No other choices, no manslaughter, nothing like that. The jury deliberates, uh, but they don't go 12 angry men style. They're only deliberating for maybe an hour and change. Surprised it took them that long. <laughs> yeah. What do they find? Well, I mean, yeah, they 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 convicted the guy. I mean, I, I just can't imagine what else they would have done um, when presented with especially such unsympathetic testimony from the man himself. Look at my face. Look at my you face. Tell me. This is the face of a child of God, right? No, no. Uh, yeah, but they sentenced him to life. Uh, and it turns out that's exactly what they took. Uh, as they say in the Shawshank Redemption. Only in this case, it means that he died pretty quickly in prison of an undetermined malady. Uh, but as we know, in the time, uh, the spring of 1900, um, something we can relate to, there were quite a few epidemics running around. Measles and pneumonia were absolutely ripping through this particular prison, the Moundsville State Prison. Um, and he had no one to come and claim his body. Uh, and this is all from actually the, uh, the official website of Greenbrier, West Virginia. And so now a question, a very Halloween-y question for everyone in the crowd, true believers and skeptics alike. Was it a ghostly visitation or was it simply mother's intuition that uncovered the murderer? Mary Jane Haster lived 
long after Trout Erasmus has passed away. She lived until 1916. She never changed her story about Elvazona's ghost. Maybe it was her story that swayed the jury and won the case. Maybe it wasn't. And as they say in a great mental floss article about this, maybe her daughter did speak to her from beyond the grave. Maybe it was all in Mary Jane's head, or maybe, just maybe, she had arrived at the information through mundane means and chose to frame it in this in this otherworldly lie to get more uh, like eyes on it, to get more attention. Uh, but no matter what, if she did not have the ghost story, she would not have gone to the prosecutor, and the prosecutor never would have put those pieces together. And uh, it's quite possible that Shu would have been on spouse number four pretty soon. The shoe would have been on the other spouse. Mm-hmm. N- never, never mind. I was just the, the shoe on the other foot. Forget it. Forget I said no, I anything. I thought it worked. I thought okay. it worked. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, and so that's essentially uh, the end of, you know, the main part of the story, but it actually becomes a little bit more of a legend, um, <laughs> which I love the idea of the legend of Zona. Makes me think of the legend of Zelda, of course. Um, but it's mainly referred to in uh, folklore or in the the lore, I guess, of the area of Appalachia as the Greenbrier Ghost, and it has taken on sort of a life of its own over the years. It's told on a lot of like ghost tours, which we know uh, well, even around here in Atlanta, but especially in more haunted rural type places or like New Orleans, you might think of. Um, But there is actually a West Virginia microbrewery named Zona's Revenge, uh, which is, uh, it's in her honor and it is a vice beer, which is a very nice, uh, very drinkable summery kind of beer. If you haven't had a vice beer, I highly recommend it. Um, and Ben, I know you're a fan of this. Uh, Jenna Pearson, um, the comic, uh, appears on an episode of Drunk History and, mm. and tells uh, the drunk version of this story. Um, and it has been adapted into quite a few stage plays. There's even a musical, which I mm. want to hear all about, The Greenbrier Ghost, the musical, uh, written by somebody named Clay Zambo. Which is a fabulous name from the no, uh, national. Yeah. You know Clay Zambo? No. Ah, sure. <laughs> well, music and lyrics by Clay Zambo, and it was uh, apparently there's there's a you can you can read about it on newplayexchange.org. Um, but it did seem to capture people's imagination. I'm surprised that we haven't seen it uh, as a podcast yet. I mean, I guess, you know, we, we are doing it as a podcast, but I mean, as like a spooky Halloween fiction podcast, like 13 Days of Halloween from my oh, heart wow. radio featuring oh, wow. the original works of Ben Bolin and a slew of other incredible writers, uh, most of which are from right here in the Atlanta area. Mm-hmm. Made by our very own ride or die compatriots, Matt Frederick, and the one and only Alex Williams, who composed this uh, this banging track. Well, don't worry, Alex. I know you listen to this show entirely for the part where we thank you at the end. We'll make sure to do it. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes. 
You heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. There is still a little bit of an epilogue here because if you are a fan of road trips or you live in the area and you want to see the living history, go to US 60. And between Sam Black Church and the I-64 entrance ramp, uh, you can pull over and see a state highway marker that sums up this story, saying the following, interred in a nearby cemetery is Zona Heaster Shoe. Her death in 1897 was presumed natural until her spirit appeared to her mother to describe how she was killed by her husband, Edward. Erasmus introduced himself as Edward, by the way. We made the editorial choice to go with a much cooler name. Atop, and apologies to the Edwards in the crowd. You can go by Erasmus if you want, man. The world is yours. Carpe diem. Uh, And an autopsy on the exhumed body verified the apparition's account. Edward, found guilty of murder, was sentenced to state prison. It's strange because, you know, later investigators... uh, like Katie Letcher Lyle have have made some pretty compelling arguments that Mary Jane was leaning into a supernatural angle to get leverage uh, and and get her uh, somewhat suspicious neighbors to to support her cause. Uh, and you know whether or not you believe in ghosts, the fact of the matter is it worked and justice was served. And if you look at the evidence we have now, uh, what 124 years later or so, he did it. like he 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 killed her, right? We can agree. That's pretty conclusive. Oh yeah. with just about zero percent uncertainty. Um, we we can conclude that. But here's the thing. We do have a precedent that Zona's mother likely would have been aware of um, for perhaps shaping her telling of this ghost story in a way that might sway a jury, right? When Zona's life was taken, uh, one of the places that her death was first reported, we mentioned this, was in a publication called The Greenbrier Independent on page three in January Um, specifically the 28th of 1897. Um, And it was only briefly mentioned, but this is how it it went. Mrs. E.Z. Shu, wife of E.S. Shu, died at her home in the Richlands, this county, on Sunday last, the 24th. 
Um, aged 22nd years, Mrs. Shu was a daughter of Mr. Hedges Heaster of Meadow Bluff District. Mr. Shu formerly lived in Pocahontas County. But on the very front page of this publication was a headline, a ghost story. And it went on to talk about a, a case in Australia that was happening around the same time. Ben, would you like to do a bit of this reading here? Sure. And we'll do this in perhaps the accent of the reporter. One of the most famous murder cases in Australia was discovered by the ghost of a murdered man sitting on the rail of a dam. That's Australian for Hearst Pond, into which his body had been thrown. Numberless people saw it, and the crime was duly brought home. Years after, a dying man making his confession said that he invented the ghost. He witnessed the crime, but was threatened with death if he divulged it as he wished to, and the only way he saw out of the impasse was to affect to see the ghost where the body would be found. As soon as he started the story, such is the power of nervousness that numerous other people began to see it, until its fame reached such dimensions that a search was made and the body found, and the murderers brought to justice. That's interesting, right? Because we're, like, we know Mary Jane is probably reading this paper. Of course she is, yeah. It was the front page. She wouldn't have been able to miss it. And it's also the paper that contains the announcement of her daughter's uh, tragic passing. Yes, exactly so. And so uh, maybe, just maybe, and this is, to be fair, this speculation on our part and the part of other other people who may share this belief, but just maybe Mary Jane saw this and hatched a plan because uh, she thought this would help galvanize local law enforcement and authorities to do a better job investigating this, or maybe it was unconscious on her part because she's in a very traumatized mental state at this time. So it's quite possible, for example, that she read it and didn't consciously register it, and it just affected what she believed she experienced later. You know what I mean? Absolutely, yeah. Could have been a ghost. You know, I, I, it's interesting. This, this is hard to ignore. Don't you think, Ben? The coincidence here of, of this other story literally setting a precedent for, you know, concocting a ghost story to make sure that someone's killer actually gets convicted in the same exact publication that the announcement of her daughter's death, where she definitely would have had eyes on that. Uh, her being a bit of a shrewd woman, clearly, um, and having known this gentleman was a bit of a no good neck. Uh, and also knowing that he was being super sketchy around the neck. And I guess it being a quite patriarchal society, mm-hmm. the mother would have had very little ability to do anything about that, you know, to, to, mm-hmm. to, to call him out in public, you know, in that way. So she would have had to go uh, about it in a bit of a more circuitous path. Yeah. And I think that's an excellent point. I, I mean, it reminds me of some of the other stuff we've done about the socioeconomic context of exorcisms, right? I was thinking the very same thing, Ben. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, and that's something you can check out on, um, on, on the other show. We do stuff they don't want you to know. Uh, that's, I think there's a lot to be said there. Uh, we know that this is not necessarily the only case where people feel a murder has been revealed by a ghost. But at this time, even now in 2020, 
the case of the Greenbrier ghost remains the only time in U.S. history that uh, a murder conviction has been determined by a source purportedly beyond the grave. Here, here. What do you think, Ben? Have we done justice to this two-parter yet? Should we keep going? I think I think we've I think we've done it. I think we have successfully made a two-parter on purpose, which is which is big for us. Yeah. Uh, you know, I I want I want there to be ghosts, man. But this is such a great story that I I propose we pass the torch to our fellow ridiculous historians to tell us some of their favorite uh, ghost stories. What do you think? I I agree, Ben. Do you have any? Have you had any brushes with the uh, with the afterworld? I have, uh, there are things I can't explain, but I think automatically calling those uh, spirits or ghosts is kind of explaining them, you know, when I don't, when I don't have the evidence. I, I will say my family believes in a lot of that stuff historically. Yeah, and my ex-wife and, and you know, one of my best friends, Casey, uh, is very much a spiritual person and uh, is into, like, Wicca and a lot of that stuff. And stuff that I'm not—I I, I wouldn't, like, poo-poo or anything, but it's not necessarily my wheelhouse uh, or, or stuff that I fully understand or believe, I would say. But I would never uh, judge anybody else for their beliefs or, or and whatever they might be. I did—I think I've told the story on um, stuff that I want you to know before, and I'll tell the very abbreviated version of it. Um, I had the closest thing that I would call— a brush with the supernatural when I was late high school. The girl that I dated for a really long time was older than me and she was in college and I would visit her after class um, and she'd wait for me in her car and it was really cold one day and I walked up to her car and she was sitting in the car and she looked like visibly shaken and she was kind of like crying. And I said, what's going on? And she blew on the inside of her windshield and this signature appeared. And it was the signature of her friend, our friend, uh, but, but her best friend, um, Missa, who had died in a car accident uh, about three weeks prior. And I just got hit with the most, you know, intense sense of I am experiencing a ghostly apparition, a ghostly vision. That is what this is. No question about it. And I was shaken. I was moved to tears. And I, I really didn't know what to, to think. And I, other than that's what this is. And then a little time passed and I thought about it and it's like, you know, it's the kind of thing young girls do. They write their names on the inside of, you know, foggy windshields with their fingers. And uh, if it had been recent enough, you got oils on your fingers that would cause it to leave a mark that you could, uh, you know, blow on and you could see that kind of return. Um, but I swear to God, man, I felt the spirit. I really mm. did. And then I sort of explained it away, which is almost sad, but it, that it, it, I couldn't deny that part of the story either. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, in the spirit of quid pro quo, uh, I'll give you a story as well. But first, Casey, do you have, uh, now that we're gathered around our Zoom campfire, do you have something to tell us as the uh, the flames throw orange shadows and shades across your face? No, I have to be kind of disappointing here. Although I, I do remember um, playing like that game Bloody Mary as a kid. Mm -hmm. at uh, at a friend's house. Oh god, why would you why would you do that? And uh <laughs> and, and really really psyching ourselves up and and you know, it was it was like an old house and it was full of weird noises and stuff. So, you know, we we heard stuff, felt like we saw stuff because it was just candlelight, but um mm. I I'm pretty sure we were just kind of uh highly suggestible maybe. But um yeah, that's about the closest I can recall from the ghostly realm. So uh in in the spirit of fairness then, I, I will say without shouting out 
specific family members. There is a little bit of a stereotype persistent in days of yore around uh my ancestors, Melungeons, uh, usually like allegations of witchcraft or they have secret hordes of riches that they got through magical means, dark magical means. Uh, and keep in mind that riches in like 1700s, 1800s rural Tennessee are not what you would consider riches in New York City. You know what I mean? But um, for most of my life growing up, I've heard stories that hinge on things more like uh, precognitive dreams or clairvoyance from my family. And in my lifetime, I've, I have seen things that I cannot, as I try, as try as I might, I cannot explain through mundane means to give a light note. We used to travel all the time, right? In the days before the pandemic. And I can't wait to get on the road again with you guys, but, uh, on a, on a lighter note, one of my favorite pranks in hotels, I will tell you, I, hope you guys don't hate me after this because it may be a little mean for some folks in the crowd, but it's so fun. I used to take shaving cream, take shaving cream and you write a message on the mirror, a cryptic message, and then you clean it off. And then when someone turns on the shower and the room fogs up, then that message will be visible because the condensation won't work the same way on the part where the, the shaving cream was. So I used to write stuff like, they're coming. <laughs> then erase it. Oh. Do you think spooky ghosts ever haunt uh, via shaving cream? I would love that. That would be cool. Yeah, I don't know, man. I just I, I thought it was fun little plot twist, spice up people's lives. You know what I mean? It's a little bit of a little bit of light anarchy, a little bit of sub genius stuff there. But it's it's fun. It's like making fake lost posters. I used to make uh, missing posters for <laughs> boomerangs and stuff like that. That's pretty funny, Ben. That's very Dada. I like that very much. Hey, is this the last uh, spooky episode of the season for us? Or am I getting the calendar muddled up? Yeah, I think you're right, Noel. This will wrap it up for our Halloween extravaganza. No, can't, good come on. Shave. But can we just keep? Can we just keep doing it? I want to. I mean, it feels sometimes like it's always Halloween in America now. I feel like November's sort of Halloweeny, a little bit, you know. Yeah, it's a, it's it's Happy Halloween. You know, we made up our own spin on the holiday. Yeah, <laughs> our 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 Halloween is just two months of Halloween. There we go. Because uh, we definitely have more spooky stories in the in the in the research materials that we could talk about. I don't know. We don't have to limit ourselves. We don't. You know, maybe the real Halloween was the friends we made along the way. <laughs> the uh, which is how you always end improv shows if you just need to get out of the scene. But, it's true. Uh, it's a but, very good point. But the. Um, yeah, we've, we've had a blast with this, and you could say it's not Halloween if it's every day of the year, um, but we hope that you have enjoyed this, and hey, just because this is coming out toward the end of the season, don't feel like you can't send us nicknames. Don't feel like they have to be spooky. Send us cool nicknames. Shout out to Melissa N. over on Ridiculous Historians, who uh, gave me the nickname Ben Boo Bolin, which I, I'm frankly surprised Wait, did you think of that one already no i was the very first one it's the most it go-to easy low-hanging halloween fruit that ever could be but thanks for the callback full circle my friend full circle a happy halloween everybody big thank you to alex williams uh big thank you to christopher hasiotis big thank you to you super producer casey pegram yeah 
big whatever john i'm i'm i'm, I'm fading guys it's six o'clock here it's friday uh and i am ready to flee i'm kind of punchy too man i'm kind of punchy too all right let's leave it at that we'll see you next time folks For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships. True story. The intimate ships of Avalon waterways can go where the big ships can only dream, through winding passageways, rolling vineyards, and castled hills, into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time. Special offers await at AvalonWaterways.com. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com.